Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, isn't it amazing? Pan, she's out there right now doing that. Not really. It's supposed to be a joke. Uh, so, no, uh, it's, we got this awesome thing coming up next weekend called Wacky Winter Wonderland. We are going to change the name to Siberian Polar Vortex Party, um, just because, you know, that's where all this air is coming from, and so we'd like to name it. No, we're not changing the name, but uh, should the Siberian Polar Vortex continue to rear its head throughout the week into next weekend, uh, we may need to adjust a little bit. So we'll let you know on Wednesday if we're going to make any adjustments to, to the Wacky Winter Wonderland. So uh, my name is John. I serve as our family to Discipleship Pastor, and uh, we are in the sixth week of our series on foundational Bible doctrines, and we're calling it the Room of Marvels. And uh, this weekend, we're going to read from the book of Matthew in chapter 4 about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, and uh, we're also going to, as we explore this doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not as as intimidating as it might sound. We're actually interacting with a book called Emblems of the Infinite King, and if you don't have this book yet, uh, you should order it. And uh, you probably have heard us talk a couple times about this, that it's actually a a book written for for kids ages 10 and older. Uh, But if you're an adult, don't think that this is just a kid's book. It would be a great resource for you in uh, your devotionals and as you read through. And it just does such a fantastic job of explaining some of these foundational doctrines of our faith that um, it really can help you uh, in your faith. So oftentimes the Holy Spirit uh, particularly is a huge mystery to us. Um, this last uh, year, I purchased a, 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 we purchased a new used car to us. Uh, it was a 2011 Toyota Camry, so it's about as functional and utilitarian as it gets. But uh, just a few weeks ago, I was bringing coffee here to the office, and um, I put the coffee on top of the, of the car because our team had had a kind of big accomplishment, so I was buying coffee for everybody. And I locked the car, and then I put the keys in my pocket, and as I did that, it unlocked. And so I grabbed the keys back out, and I locked it again, and then I grabbed the coffee. And as I grabbed the coffee off the top of the car, the car started. And I was already five minutes late to a meeting that I lead, and I have my hands full of coffee, and I'm at the same time really excited because I've just discovered that the car that I bought a year ago has a remote start that I didn't know about. But I also am terribly stressed because this is a terrible time to discover this right now. Because I have no idea what sequence of buttons I pushed in the moment. I have no idea what made it start and I have no idea how to shut it off. And uh, so it was a great gift that I never knew that I had. And we're going to discover today that the Holy Spirit is a lot like that. The Holy Spirit is a gift that we forget that we have. And when we think about the Holy Spirit, most of us are on a spectrum of belief uh, about the Holy Spirit. On one end is that even from a Christian perspective, it feels a little bit like, like, like maybe a little mystic or confusing or even a little bit weird when people talk about the Spirit. It's like, ah, that guy's one of those spirit guys. He's always talking about the Holy Spirit because we're not really quite sure what to do with that. On this end, it's not really in any sort of Christian context. It's just spiritual. And people talk about spirits or, or this or that spirit. And so we kind of at times feel like, well, they're not really talking about the Holy Spirit, but I don't want to be over there, but I'm really not sure where I should be. Most of us are somewhere on this spectrum trying to discover what it looks like to, to, to experience the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're going to go today. We're going to discover what are the essential things for us to know about the Spirit. Specifically, who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does. So as we get started here, we're going to uh, offer or invite God and God's Spirit to join us as he illuminates his word to our hearts and minds. So let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, as we look to your word, we remember your constant presence. By your Holy Spirit, God, would you guide us to the truth? Help us to see what we need to see. Give us wisdom to listen and to understand. Teach us to yield our hearts to you and to your will for your kingdom and for your glory. God, we pray for your presence in our world as we continue to journey through probably the most difficult season in most of our lives as we face a global pandemic. And even if we haven't been directly impacted or someone we love hasn't been impacted, we can see the, the, the difficulty and the hardship that it's causing our world. So God, we know that you're present in our world and we pray that you would show us yourself and help us to be your presence here as well. Amen. So our view and understanding of the Holy Spirit is informed typically by a couple of different sources. There is our own experiences of the Holy Spirit, and there are also things that we read in a devotional or a book or particularly in our Bibles. That obviously, the Bible talks about the Spirit. Uh, a couple years ago, I had the honor of leading my great-aunt Ruth's memorial service. And I didn't know her personally, but she was a, a dear and beloved aunt to my mom and to my other aunts and uncles. And uh, so we had driven down to Blue Earth, Minnesota. Uh, it's in southern Minnesota. And, uh, and it was with just a very small gathering as we, as we uh, met around uh, her gravesite at the cemetery where she is buried. And it was one of those really, really hot summer days. And in southern Minnesota, you know, they, this particular cemetery is wrapped around by a huge cornfield where it's, you know, it's the agricultural part of, of the state down there or part of it. And uh, if you've ever been to an agricultural place or, or part, I should say, of a state like southern Minnesota, western Minnesota, Iowa, there's two heat sources in the summer. There is the, the, the sun that is the heat source, and then there is the corn. And the corn is like this secondary heat source. It's like, it's like you can feel the heat of the sun, and then you feel the heat of the corn. And it is just, it is hot. And the air was just not moving at all. And luckily, we were underneath these huge pine trees uh, right near her gravesite where we were gathered. And so we were protected from the sun, but it was, it was particularly hot. As we talked about Ruth, I, had, uh, I shared some things that they had shared with me, uh, the stories of impact that she had had on their lives and the spiritual significance that she played in their lives. And as we stood listening to those words and considered God's presence in our own lives and in Ruth's Ruth life, the air, which had been so still, suddenly began to move. And it was this still, calm breeze that began to move past us. And everybody stopped as we took a moment of silence and said a prayer. And many of us had tears in our eyes and goosebumps on our skin because it felt like, like something in that breeze was the presence of God. And so we have experiences like that where we, we ask ourselves afterwards, well, is, is that the Spirit of God? Is that, is that what the Spirit of God is like? Is that God's presence? What, what is that? Is it nothing? It's just nature? Uh, what is it? So that might be one experience that we draw from when we think about things like that. And then we page through our Bibles and we read about the Spirit doing things like translating languages. You know, that, that people are speaking their native language to another uh, culture who doesn't speak the same language. And, and, and yet that culture is hearing what they're saying in their native language. And so we see the Spirit being a translator of languages. And we, we read as, as the Spirit descends upon Jesus after his baptism, the Spirit descends like a dove. And so is the Spirit a bird? Is it like, what, what are we to take of what the Spirit is. 
And so we, we oftentimes aren't sure what to do with the Holy Spirit. And I think most typically for many of us, we shelve it. We know that it's important, kind of like a, like a certain type of spice or ingredient that we know we're going to need to use in a particular recipe. We don't use it very often, and maybe we would use it more if we knew more recipes that used it. But So we, we know that we'll need it, so we keep it close, but we don't use it every day because we really don't know how. The Holy Spirit is like that. We know that the Holy Spirit is a part of who God is, but we really don't know how to interact with the Spirit and how to, how, what, what the Spirit's role in our lives should be. We may even disengage from the idea of the Holy Spirit because it's a little confusing to us and, and, and we're just not quite sure that we even want to go there because it's just, it requires too many brain calories for us to figure out how, how to access it. Well, this is why this series is so important because every day we breathe in powerfully told stories, captivating images and pervasive messages that tempt us into looking at our world apart from, from, the, from the God that is revealed to us in Scripture. And it's, just, it's as if we're falling underneath a spell where God becomes increasingly irrelevant in our lives. There's these, there's these questions and there's these confusing things that, that we kind of just shelf and put away. But, but as we find them confusing or unbelievable, it causes us to walk a little bit away from our faith in our minds and in our hearts and then sometimes even with our feet. In his book, Recapturing the Wonder, Mike Cosper uh, says, says this, that we have enough conviction and faith to call ourselves believers, but we're compelled to look for ways to live out a Christian life without transcendence and without the active presence of God. We, we don't want to live a life that is without transcendence or without the active presence of God. To most of us, if we ask the question, would you like to live a life of transcendence and experience the active presence of God, most of us would say, yes. In fact, that's what I thought I signed up for. But this is a difficult thing to get to, and so we resort back to, okay, I'm gonna, I, I am a believer, I know that, but I, I'm also compelled by certain things in my life to kind of try to figure this out on my own, and, and that starts to draw me away from experiencing this true transcendence of, of the living God. We look for other ways when we feel confused or we begin to adopt a narrative from our culture to try to help explain something that we can't explain with our faith. But what if there is a way to recapture this wonder and this awe of God and experience his active presence? Well, to break this spell that we fall under, this spell that kind of convinces us that, that we need to kind of figure this out on our own, uh, we need to be reminded of and more deeply comprehend the foundational teachings of our faith, so that we are captivated by their immense beauty and their goodness and their truth. And I submit to you this morning that as I have prepared this message, I have, I have poured into resources on the Holy Spirit, and, and I have felt my heart and mind change as I have come to know the Spirit better in the midst of this, of this message. And I can say that I am in a different place today, recognizing the immense beauty, goodness, and truth that is God. And that is large part because of, of this newfound focus on the Holy Spirit. So as we, as we do every week in this series, we, we're going to use our imaginations a little bit. And uh, we're living in a fortress. It's all that we ever really have known, and the fortress is, is kind of all we want to know because we can understand it, we can control it, and there's a, there's a safety to that. But there's a room in the fortress that we've never been allowed into or able to enter until now, so we've been, and we've been given a key to enter it. 
And the room is called the Room of Marvels, or, or in the book it's called uh, the, the, the Throne Room. But it's called, we're calling it the Room of Marvels because in it will be introduced to, to wonders and ideas and beings that we only imagined existed. And we'll be introduced to a realm that is ruled by the infinite king. So this weekend, this room transforms into the desert wilderness where Jesus was tempted. And we begin to understand more deeply who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does. So take a listen first to the account. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Uh, You can follow along, but we also have someone reading it for us here this morning. And uh, this is the account of Jesus' temptation from the book of Matthew. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. So the wilderness story is interesting because at first glance, it seems almost misplaced. Not that we get to be the deciders of where stories are placed in the Bible, but it kind of catches us a little bit like, okay, we were just in a scene where Jesus is being baptized and suddenly now we're in a wilderness that feels a little bit like imaginary because the spirit has whisked him off and and the serpent is taking him different places and it's it's, kind of misplaced if we're just focused on Jesus. But when we realize that there's something else going on here, it starts to tell us a story about the Spirit's work. Upon Jesus' baptism, we read that the Spirit of God descends like a dove and then takes Jesus into the wilderness to start the work that he's been sent to accomplish. It is the Spirit that is actively beginning Jesus' mission to save humanity. But we miss it if we're not paying attention or understanding what the Spirit's role is here. And so as we, as we move into this, this is the fifth chapter of the Emblems book on the Holy Spirit. And it begins to open our eyes to who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does. Take a listen. Chapter 5, The Spirit Key, The Doctrine of the Holy Spirit. With the turn of the key, a wind blows the tomb and garden away. When the dust settles enough for you to open your eyes again, You find yourself in a vast and desolate wilderness. The overgrown garden gives way to bare desert hills. The chamber's narrow walls are replaced by the vast loneliness of the horizon-filled wilderness. That is until you hear his wise voice again. The spirit lives. Your greatest need is a new heart. Your greatest need is a new heart. That is why the spirit led the son here into the wilderness. What seems like the last place for a king's son was the very place the king needed him to be. What the world didn't know, the Holy Spirit did, which is why the Spirit brought him into the desert. He brought the death killer, the better image of God, the son of man, to do what Adam didn't do, what you could not do. 
The Spirit brought the Death Killer into the wilderness to face the serpent's cruel test and to overthrow his temptations with the Spirit's own words. The beginning of the end starts here. In the desert, the Death Killer places his heel over the ancient serpent's head and then waits for the perfect time to deal the death blow. The Spirit does all of this because the Spirit was faithful to lead the Son into the Father's deep, never-forgotten promises. This is what the Spirit does. He makes everything about the Son. He even made this wilderness story about the King's Son, which of course it is. But even when you want to look at His work, the Spirit somehow always makes it about the Death Killer. That's His ministry, though. That is the way He works, and it is beautiful. Still, the Spirit deserves His rightful due, not because He seeks it, but because he is God himself. To know God and his rescue plan, you have to know the Spirit too. He is the one to turn the death killer's work into an antidote for your dead heart. He makes your heart alive again. Here is the Spirit's brilliance. He's always there, but he never takes center stage. He leaves that for the Son. Though you may have to look a little harder for him from time to time, it's always worth the look. You first must know who the Spirit is, or perhaps what the Spirit is not. To be sure, the Spirit is not just some sort of mysterious force or a fleeting feeling. He is not some thing or some stuff. He is a he, not an it. Oh no, the Holy Spirit is God, the Trinitarian God of the Bible. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is one of the who's that shares the same what. He is equal with the Father and the Son because he shares the same essence as the Father and the Son. The Spirit also acts like a person would act. Take note of what God's speech tells us about him. Like the people you know, the Spirit also thinks, chooses, and acts freely. Though he does all these things perfectly because he is divine. He also feels emotions and experiences things in similar ways that people do. But you really know that the Spirit is a person because you can have a personal relationship with Him just like you can with the Father and the Son. So we can have a personal relationship with the Spirit just like we can the Father and the Son. And this idea takes a little bit to sink in because we don't typically talk about the Spirit like that. When we talk about our relationship with God, we, we talk mostly about God the Father and Jesus when we're talking about the relationship. We don't talk about our relationship with the Spirit. And so as we, as we move forward here, what is essential so far for us to know about the, the Holy Spirit? Well, the Spirit is not a force or a feeling. The Spirit is God. And you can have a relationship with the Spirit just like you can with the Father and the Son. He is always there, but he never takes center stage. Uh, one of the things that the book uses to describe the Holy Spirit's presence is like the headlights of our car. That We don't look at the headlights of our car because that's not their purpose. The purpose of our headlights is to show us what's ahead, to reveal something else. In the same way, if you think about a flashlight, if somebody handed you a flashlight and told you that the purpose of the flashlight was to look into it, you would think it was the dumbest invention ever. Because it, all it would do is hurt your eyeballs. But when you turn it and start to use it in the way that it was intended to be used, it reveals and illuminates things that you, didn't, didn't, you weren't able to see 
before. The Spirit is like that, and it is through the Spirit that life and faith and God make sense. He makes our hearts alive again. And knowing the Spirit, knowing who the Spirit is in this way, helps us to make sense of what the Spirit does. And the first thing that we see that the Spirit does is that the Spirit creates. The Spirit creates right from the beginning. This is another passage that is similar to this passage in Matthew where if we, if we aren't paying attention, we almost miss the fact that the Spirit is here. So when we go to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. In the beginning, the Spirit is present as God created the heavens and the earth, and it hovers over, over, over the, mat, the, the, the water. And what's interesting about this is that there, there's no, the, the Spirit is organizing things already, and that's part of what is the Spirit's role, is that the Spirit creates order out of chaos. And so as we're imagining how the creation is going, it, it is not some mess. It is beautiful. And part of why it's beautiful is because the Holy Spirit is directing creation. And if you take one thing from this message today, take this, that the Spirit creates order out of chaos. And the Spirit then brings light out of the darkness. So why is this particularly important for us to know? Well, because it helps us to understand that, that to know the Spirit and His work in the beginning is to know the Spirit today. That the Spirit not only creates order out of chaos, but the Spirit has a hand in choosing the image bearers of the King, which is you and me, followers of Christ. We are the image bearers of the King. And because the Spirit's work doesn't stop after creation, the Spirit brings the same order to our lives. And this type of order is not an oppressive, uh, domineering order. It is freedom. But it is different than the freedom that we think we need or want. The freedom that each of us in our humanity wants to express is the same freedom that we see Adam and Eve express in the garden in the very beginning. It's a freedom that says, I want to choose what I want to choose and do what I want to do, and no one's going to tell me differently. And if we want to know what that type of freedom looks like, we just look outside in the world, and what it looks like is chaos. And we look inside in our hearts, and what that type of freedom looks like in our hearts is chaos. And so the Spirit not only brings, brings order out of chaos in the, in the physical realm, but it brings it in the spiritual realm and inside of our, of our hearts and minds and illuminates God's word so that we may live by it. The second thing we need to know about what the Spirit does is that the Spirit rescues. Rescuing God's people is the Spirit's goal. And this is a continuation of that bringing order to chaos Rescuing God's people is the Spirit's goal, and this actually starts long before Jesus. Before Jesus' incarnation, the Spirit helped the world look for God's promised one. And it does this through the prophets that we read in the Old Testament. These are anointed people of God, anointed prophets like Ezekiel, to speak and write God's speech down, to call out to God's people and draw them and bring them back to, to God. And, and the reason that I wanted to highlight Ezekiel here is that Ezekiel is speaking in to, uh, to the, a time in the life of God's people that is eerily similar to the time that we find ourselves in today. 
And the time that Ezekiel is speaking to God's people and bringing God's truth to God's people, the God's people are experiencing an all-out catastrophe. They're in exile. They've been invaded. It's, it's terrible. And this, this catastrophe has divided them, not physically, but it has divided them into two different ways of thinking about what has happened to them. One is in, des- in des- despair, and the other is in denial. And so as I'm reading this, I'm recognizing that like, Wow, if we ever wondered if God's word could speak off the pages, jump off the pages into right now, are we not in the midst of a global catastrophe in which most of us are divided into denial or despair? And God, is through Ezekiel here and also to us now, is saying, come back to me. And some of the most pointed words in Ezekiel's message is, you need to return to God. God will replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And he will put a spirit within you that will help you to live in harmony with his ways. See, long before Jesus came, the Holy Spirit ensured, established, and directed the writing of Scripture in this way. And the the Emblems book does a beautiful job of explaining this like a river and a lake. That the Spirit is like a river. It flows into a lake, which are the the people of God that the Spirit used to to write down God's speech. And so Ezekiel would have been an example of a lake. And so the Spirit flows into Ezekiel's life, and, 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 and Ezekiel's life being like a lake tells the story of God. And so the scripture that we read, these are not just stories and memories of really smart people from long ago. This is the Holy Spirit that has guided and instructed and empowered God's people throughout time to tell his story with their lives. And then it gets recorded in our Bibles, and that is how we come to know what God's story is. And then after Jesus' resurrection, something happens. Instead of a few select people that are chosen by the Spirit to to reveal God's truth to, to his people, the Spirit now comes to indwell in the heart's to dwell in the hearts of his followers. So this is the same spirit who brought a virgin from, from, from birth, and, and, or to birth, and, and uh, or, sorry, brought a baby from a virgin to, to birth and led Christ from the manger through the temptation into the, the experience on the cross, his death on the cross, and then back to life through the resurrection. And it's the same spirit who can apply God's rescue plan to you and to me. All of God's work and all of God's promises become ours through the Spirit. So let me play this out for us a little bit because I think we can often feel like, okay, this is, this is yeah, I'm, I'm tracking with you, John. This is what we're trying to do. But we also recognize that a lot of times it doesn't feel like it's working. Because we're trying to do all these things and we've received God's gift of grace and we're trying to live this way, but maybe our lives are still riddled with temptation or bad decisions or addictions or just plain selfishness. Or maybe on the other side of it, we are dutifully following Christ and we are abiding and, and obeying his commands and yet our faith just feels lifeless. So we're going to talk about this like, like a hostage rescue. And I'm going to go back to a movie from, I don't know how long ago it was, but it seems not that long ago, but I'm not as young as I used to be, so it's probably further back than I think. But it's called Act of Valor. And Act of Valor was a movie about Navy SEALs. And what's incredible about the movie is that the SEALs that are being portrayed in the movie are actual Navy SEALs. And so the intensity of all of the scenes is is exponential because these guys, they've already done all of this stuff in real life. They just have never had cameras following them around. 
So it's not a reality show or anything like that. It is, it's actually it's a dramatic depiction of, of, the, of the, some of the missions that, that a Navy SEAL would go on. And in this particular scene in the movie, uh, we, we see them about to enter into a compound to rescue a hostage. And so they make their way into the compound, they get rid of a couple bad guys on the way, and they, they find where the hostage is being, is being kept, and she's unconscious, unable to save herself, and so they tend to her medically, and then they start to make their way to their extraction point. And so as they're making their way to their extraction point, then one of the, one of the guys um, is injured, and so they got to tend to him as well. And the scene is so chaotic because they find this old rickety truck, and they jump into it, and they're racing through the jungle on this gravel road, and there's four trucks of bad guys with guns behind them. And you start to say to yourself, there's no way. There's no way that these guys get out from this. There's like five of them in the truck. And they start radioing ahead to the other seals who are supposed to be on the other end of the extraction point who are going to meet them and get them out of there. And their first point of extraction is, is blown. The second point of extraction is blown. And so they say, we're moving to our tertiary point of extraction, which is their third and final opportunity to get out. And then you see what that is, and all hope is lost because it's a river. They are going to drive their truck into the river, and we don't know what's going to happen. All we see is this, this water coming, and then the camera pans back, and there's a bunch of bad guys already shooting at them, ready, ready to, 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 to take care of them, and not in a good way. And so they, they, they kick out the windshield of the truck, and they crash into the water, and they somehow, everybody gets out of the truck, and they get the hostage out of the truck, and, and the, the trucks pull up of the bad guys, and they're ready. They're just like sitting ducks, and you're thinking, there's just no way. This is how this ends. They are not going to make it out. And at the last possible second, around the corner of the river comes one boat followed by two other boats with the biggest machine guns you've ever seen and the barrage of bullets that they, un, that they, un, that they unleash on the bad guys makes you stand up and cheer at your television screen. And, and it just obliterates their vehicles and the bad guys are pinned behind the truck and it creates order out of chaos. Because the seals that are rescuing the hostage, they are literally walking around like nothing's happening. They're not shooting back. They're not ducking and covering. There is so much cover fire that they are not afraid to, com to, com to complete the rescue mission. So why, why am I telling you this story? Well, I'm not saying, this is, this is important, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is a machine gun. Don't, say, don't post that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I, what, I, what I want us to consider is that our separation from God has serious consequences. And there is a battle in the spiritual realm for our souls. And it's, in watching that scene, it reminds me of the intensity of what's happening, what God, the lengths that God has gone to to rescue his people. And we are experiencing it in real time, and there are times when it feels like we're not going to make it. I'm trying to do this, but I don't, I don't think it's working. I'm not even sure if, if God is going to rescue me. But all along, it's like the wilderness and the Holy Spirit guiding Jesus through the wilderness. Guiding Jesus through his experience and death on the cross into his resurrection. The entire time, the Spirit knows what's going to happen. And he's known the whole time. And so as we watch that, that scene unfold, we're wondering how they're going to be rescued. But when it, with regard to the Holy Spirit, we can put our faith in knowing that even when it seems uncertain, we know that the Holy Spirit knows. Your rescue has already been secured, and he will stay with you until the king's work is finished. This is the assurance that we receive through the Holy Spirit, 
that he will win, which means we will win. Our rescue is secured and he will give us new hearts and he will come to live in our hearts. A prominent author, N.T. Wright, says this about the work of, of Christianity and the Holy Spirit. Part of the whole point of Christianity is that the Holy Spirit both calls people to be Jesus' followers and then energizes them to be shaped by Jesus and to be following him. And to my knowledge, Christianity is the only world religion that, that believes this and that has this doctrine. Most world religions have some sort of a, a level of performance or purity or perfection that humans are supposed to reach. But they're supposed to reach it by their own will and by their own practices. Christianity is the only one that instills a God that is in three. A, a, a king who has a son who sacrifices, who is sacrificed for the king's followers. And a Holy Spirit who comes to not only help that to happen, but then energizes his followers to help the work of the king be completed. So the third way is that the, the, the Spirit achieves. The Spirit achieves this for us. He achieves the work of God. The Spirit renews your heart and will, reunite, will unite you with the death killer. And the death killer is Jesus. Is, that's the, the, the term that the book uses for Jesus. The Spirit renews your heart and unites you with the death killer. And then the Spirit remains with his people. And he continues to live in you until he finishes the king's work in you. And so what does this finished work look like? Well, I think we get a glimpse of it in Galatians chapter 5, and where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruits of the Spirit, these are things that should come out naturally of the, of the people of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, I don't know about what your life has looked like over the course of this past year, but in the midst of a global pandemic, trying to work from home and trying to help our kids learn from home, all of these things have really been a very constant presence in my life. I've been very peaceful. I've been very joyful and loving. I've been very kind, very good, very faithful and gentle. Lots of self-control happening in my life. For, for a time during this season, I would get up early in the morning and I would, I, I would put some my ear listening devices in and I would I would listen to my devotion I would pour coffee down my throat I would write a journal entry uh, and sometimes directed at my wife Jill to say this is what I think is going to be great about today and here's a scripture that we can focus on today and then the first words out of my mouth to my wife and kids are not patient ones now, last service, I said, patience isn't on here, so I think I'm okay. And then on the live stream, they said, well, isn't that what forbearance is? And I said, well, and I, so if I could go back, I would say, I don't know. That's why I use this translation, because then I'm good. <laughs> patience isn't on here. But we have to recognize this is not a to-do list. This is not a report card. With regard to the Holy Spirit, this is a promise. This is the Holy Spirit saying, I am going to come and live inside of your heart and I will not leave you until this work is complete. And there is not another person in our life that says that to us. Even within the holy covenant of marriage, we have two imperfect humans trying to, to make promises like that to each other. But this is God himself saying, these are the things that are gonna come out of you. 
And if these things come out of you and they come out of all of my followers and my big kingdom dream and vision is that everybody on earth has these things coming out of them, guess what that looks like? A lot like God's original intent. This past month, we had our annual men's summit. And we don't call it a retreat because we're not retreating from anything. We're advancing. We're climbing. And um, I keep waiting for one of the guys to say amen to that, but nobody has. So, but that's why we call it the summit. And uh, Vince Miller was a speaker and author that was with us during our time. And, and he named something that we all do as we're trying to live differently. And he called it list switching where we take a list of bad things that we do and we want to trade it out for a list of good things that we do. And for the most part, lists like that just don't work because it's based on our own human will. We are going to miss and we are going to mess up, but this is not a performance. It is a process of being made whole and it is a process that will go on until we leave this life and are united with our creator. And in the midst of that process, this is where this understanding of the Holy Spirit sets us apart. That we have, you, we, me, have the Holy Spirit indwelled within us. And when we turn our focus to that and recognize that he is the one completing this work in us. I'm not completing this work. You're not completing this work. The Holy Spirit is completing this work in you. It will happen just like the Spirit created and creates, rescued and rescues. He is achieving and will achieve for us the King's finished work in us. And so as we wrap this up, one of, the, one of the most difficult things about this is when we leave here today, Monday is waiting. And what sounds really great and easy in here is about to not sound so great when we get out of here. In fact, for most of us, it might happen the second that we get in our car. And we try to pull out on a radio drive and somebody doesn't let us and we get mad. So what does this look like? How do we live this out? Well, part of it is just, first and foremost, it is, it's a heart change. It's a mind change. It's a, it's a shift. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Holy Spirit the way you pray to God and Jesus. Envision him as a person who is with you. And an example of that might be, Holy Spirit, I know that you know how this is going to go. I pray that you would give me the hope and trust to, to believe in that and to follow you. Holy Spirit, thank you for not leaving me and thank you for the words that are recorded in my Bible that remind me how you work and live and indwell yourself in your people. This is an identity thing. Remember that you are an image bearer to the king, which is not something that should bring you shame when you mess up, but ought to remind you that that is what the Spirit is completing in you. And lastly, uh, practice something that's called anchoring in the mental health world. Anchoring is something that we use when we're in the midst of crisis or anxiety, and it anchors us to something that is absolutely true, that can't be shaken. When everything else is shaking around us, we can anchor ourselves to this truth. And that is what the truth of the Holy Spirit brings us. What is absolutely true is that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit have a story that you are a part of. And the Holy Spirit is working to rescue you through Jesus and to walk you into the part of God's story that you get to play. And as we move into our time of response and communion, this is, is profoundly what we experience when we experience communion. So you can take out your, your communion pack. If you missed one when he came in, they're in the, right outside the back doors there. But when Jesus died, he overcame death. He stomped on the head of the serpent. And then when he was resurrected, something happened. As Jesus is ascending 
to heaven, his spirit is descending to his followers. And as we receive communion today, we remember that that is what made that possible. So as you receive the bread, we remember that Christ's body was broken for us. And as we drink of the juice, we remember that Jesus gave this to his disciples and said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood shed for you. And that is the means by which the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you join us now? Give us the ability to commune with you and to talk with you and to live with you. Change our minds and our hearts that we would, that we would go forth from here remembering that you are not a feeling or an idea. You are a person. And you are a person who intercedes on our behalf and, and, and is completing the king's work in us. May your will be done. Amen.